This morning, uh, we're going to kind of start off with looking back at what we looked at last week, that we stand firm. We stand firm in the Lord who we know, not a Lord that we think we know or feel we know. We stand firm in the Lord of the Scriptures. Our foundation is to be rooted in Christ Jesus. Therefore, we will not be tossed by the winds and whenever a storm comes and when trials come, we will be able to stand firm. Jesus Christ stood firm. He knew why he was sent. He knew the purpose for why he was sent. And he came to do the Father's will no matter the cost, no matter the pain, no matter the suffering. Even though he had that garden in Gethsemane moment where he wanted the cup to pass. But he knew what he had to do. He was purpose driven and he went through and he did it. No matter the cost. He was the most stand firming person who had ever lived. Those of us that call ourselves Christians, we should know of this standing firm. We should know of this steadfastness of Christ. And it should lead into the way that we live our lives. To be fully rooted in Christ, full of boldness and courage, all from and for Christ Jesus due to who He is. No matter where we are, we must stand firm. No matter what day it is. We must have integrity. We must have humility. Sadly, many desire to be strong. Many desire to be firm, but are obliterated by the four enemies we looked at last week. Those four enemies include our flesh, the world, demons, and Satan. This is why the Christian life is not easy, because we are in constant warfare. Constant warfare. So how can we have stability? Why are some always seeing defeat in life and some seem like they, they have this victory thing? John MacArthur, he stated Colossians 2 verse 5, which states, um, For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. This is associated with good discipline. The disciplined life, the grace-filled effort, becomes the stable life. In order to be spiritually stable, whether if it's the persecution of hostile people, the world, temptation, Satan, trials, and troubles, there are principles that help you to stand firm as a Christian. Let's look back at verse 1 of Philippians chapter 4, which states, Therefore, my brothers... Whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. Paul states, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. If you're going to stand firm, here is how. We looked at how a little bit last week, but for the next few weeks, we're going to keep looking at these stable fundamentals. John MacArthur stated that harmony or peace and the fellowship of love. Harmony and peace and the fellowship of love. This is dependent on who we are associated with. Who are we associated with? Christ Jesus. This is why we need Christ. And we need fellowship. The Christian is not meant to walk this way of life on his own. The Christian needs the church. The church needs the Christian. We are to have fellowship. And the church is all about, so the church, not just the building, the church, the people, the people, the brothers and sisters in Christ. 
is about mutual love for Christ, which leads to having mutual love and grace for one another. We are to encourage one another. We are to build each other up. We are to encourage each other in the faith. We are to work together all for Christ. No selfish ambition. No self-gain. No self-righteousness. All for Christ alone. Paul is not vague in who is causing the problems in the church. So that's why I'm going to start calling it. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. A little joke for you. But he calls out the people that have been causing the division. If there is conflict in the church at a high level, the whole church will feel it. Now, we are here talking about this letter that Paul wrote to the Philippian church, even today. And yet these two people are still listed. It was two women. They had a conflict. And our passage is stated in Philippians 4 verse 2, where Paul stated, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Do you imagine this is being read to the whole church? And he's talking about this division problem and how we have unity is through humility, right? We're doing this the whole time in this letter to the Philippians. And all of a sudden, Paul just, boom, he just, well, I'll probably don't do that. But he, he hits it right there, who the two people are that are causing the division. Now, many sins can cause these conflicts and divisions in the church. Here are a few examples. Criticism, pride. Negative attitudes, bitterness, hostility, partying, revenge, and unforgiveness. These sins, if not addressed, can cause instability and erosion in the church, especially if it's in church leadership. When people make peace and agree and have forgiveness, a few things occur that are awesome. John MacArthur stated this on the good things that happen when the church is united and stable in Christ. They have that firm foundation, which include a unified strength of fellowship that seeks Christ together. You will know you are loved and that others love you. The church is to pray for one another together. Accountability, being nurtured, being encouraged and pointing each other to Christ. This is why we have this time of fellowship right now. This is why during the week that we have many groups that get together. We are to be the body of Christ. To support the weak. To lift up the fallen. To restore the broken. Those who are in sin. We are to demonstrate love. And loving them with the truth. We talked about it on Wednesday at men's group. That it would not be loving if we saw our child playing with a basketball on the street. And we see a semi coming and we go, oh, it's okay. I'm going to be kind and they'll get hit, whatever. No, there's a love by the parent. Their tone may be different and there's an urgency, but they love their child to yell at them to get out of the way, to dive at them and knock them out of the way of that coming semi because they love him. And so when we love people with the truth, we do not deny That sinners are on a road to destruction. And we're to do that obviously with grace, with tenderness, with explaining the gospel to people. Stability is related to how you think. Stability is related to your attitude. 
If you learn to react properly to things, which is what we are looking at in this chapter and the next few weeks, your attitude and how you think will translate to how stable that this church is. So do you have the foundation of Christ or not? We as Christians are to constantly be making that foundation in Christ all the time, being fed by the word of God, by having fellowship with other believers By seeking Him through prayer, spending time with Christ. Because you make that foundation and you have it so when storms come, you have it. If you're not preparing that foundation, because trials will come, suffering will come. As much of you can admit, you've had suffering and pain and death in your lives. Now, would you rather have that foundation to have that stability, to have Christ as your refuge when you go in those storms? Or do you just want to be caught naked in the middle of the wilderness with nothing? All right. This is why we're to be making that foundation. All right. So primarily, do you have the foundation of Christ or not? It is not how you think about yourself. It's not how you think about your problems or think about your sins. But it's about how you think about God. What do you think about God? Hmm? What do you think about Jesus Christ? What do you think about the Holy Spirit? Is he real to you or not? Do you trust that he is sovereign? That he is in control? Because your spiritual stability, it's going to be weighed on what you think of God. And what you know of God. And to have that foundation of knowing and trusting and having a relationship with Christ helps you to have the foundation. Now, Paul is pleading with these two women in chapter 4 to live in harmony in the Lord. To agree. Now, this disagreement must have been pretty horrible if it's still recorded and we're talking about it today. In chapter 3, Paul warned of legalism and he warned of those who had pride thinking that they've arrived at spiritual perfection. And oh, we're just going to wait on Jesus to come back. So <laughs> obedience, repentance, no, nah, it's, it's fine. We'll just wait it out. Laziness. Paul also warned of those who live fully in the flesh with zero repentance. These were just a few of the threats to the church. Yet now he states this on these two women. Why does he hit so hard on what these women are doing? Discord and division is dangerous to the church. It destroys the church's testimony to other people. And it will be evident to other people if we are not unified for Christ. This division problem has been addressed many times in Paul's letter to the Philippian church. So if you think I'm repeating myself, I am simply stating what the Bible says and what Paul says about division. Division in the church kills its testimony. Remember in chapter 1, verse 27 of Philippians, which states, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Paul is crying out for unity in spite of opponents, which is in verse 28. Now, do we as a church believe what we believe? If we do, then we need to be unified for the same objective. In chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, Paul states, If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Having the same love, 
being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but to the interest of others. So once again, church, how do we have unity? How do we have unity? It's been asked about every week. Every week. And I ask this to remind you why we have unity. It's because we, or how we have unity, is because of humility. We are to be like Christ. Not like what happened in Philippians 2.14 where we see the complaining and the grumbling and there was no desire to be together. Have a Christ-like attitude. We are to have a Christ-like attitude. There is no tolerance for division. We are to stand firm and seek Christ. And in this verse between these two women, they have caused division. What can we tell from this division? Well, sadly, it was only from opinions. This was not a doctrine issue, which Paul would have addressed. Rather, it was an opinion problem, which is rampant in churches. I don't like the carpet. I don't like the ceiling. I don't like this or that or this or that. The second thing we know is that these two women were in the Philippian church and having not just conflict, but personal conflict. If it was a doctrine conflict, it would have been dealt with quickly. But these women, they just could not get along. And Paul knew that these women, as stated in verse 3 of our passage this morning, which states, yes, Paul says, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. This division was so bad that it hindered their unity. Paul is concerned about this. And the issue was a lack of agreement, which leads to a lack of harmony, which leads to disunity. They had a lack of love. They were not right with the Lord. I love what John MacArthur stated. He said, when two people who are right with the Lord because of Christ, when they're right with the Lord, they're right with each other. If we're both walking in the spirit and right with the Lord, we will get along greatly. This division was hit on throughout the letter by Paul. And then finally in the last chapter, he he calls out the division causers. Therefore, if you are causing division, if you're complaining, if you're grumbling, just stop. The word of God is clear about his church. We are to be unified. And if you disagree, then you're in blatant disobedience to the word of God. If you are generating conflict and discord, you are causing instability to the church and you are in blatant sin. The enemy wants to pervert us, to cause discord. Yes, especially those who claim to love and follow Christ. Now, A.R. Fawcett, he stated this on verse 3. It states, true yoke fellow, yoked with me in the same gospel. Yoke, we have a picture up on the screen. In Matthew eleven twenty nine to 30, Jesus said, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We bond over the same yoke, not just an egg yoke, but think as what Brian Diabert said when he said, when Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, he meant that we are to submit ourselves to him every 
single day in everything we do. A yoke was made of wood, hand carved to fit the neck and shoulders of the animal to prevent it pain or discomfort. In ancient culture, the word yoke was a term that used to describe submission. So when someone was described as being yoked to someone or something, it was communicating the idea that he or she was in submission to that person or thing. So church, we are to have mutual submission to Christ. Mutual submission to Christ. Now, this person, Paul, he wanted to address this issue. He wanted someone to address it, whether it was Timothy, Silas, or the chief bishop of Philippi, or else the Greek word Zingis is not Zinga, Zingis, or Buzinga. That's actually a, the reference I was making there. Anyways, Zingis is the proper name. Who art truly, as thy name means, a yoke fellow. Now, Paul's not talking here about a, a wife because he didn't have one, as stated in 1 Corinthians 9, 5. But Paul tells this co-laborer of his that's at the church in Philippi to help these women, um, as stated in the Greek, help them. Judea and Syntyche, cooperate with them, help in the work of their reconciliation. These women's names were in the book of life, which is where God has the list of names of his chosen redeemed people, which is talked on the majority of scripture. But just as Philippians 1 27 and chapter four, verse one, we stand firm for Christ due to who he is. And we are unified for Christ Jesus to love God, to love people and to care about the great commission that God commands us to participate in. To spread the gospel. To teach people all that Christ has commanded us. How can you do that if we don't even know what Christ has called us to do or commanded us to do? Now, this genuine unity for Christ creates a rock-solid stability in the church. And when you fracture that, and when you cause discord and division, attitudes become bad, bitterness runs rampant, negative spirits, no forgiveness, no grace, and hostility come in when there is division causers and conflict. We are to be peacemakers. How? How are we to be peacemakers? We are to love one another. To love one another. Not just a feeling or not just being sentimental, but a biblical love that lines up with the truth, which is the word of God. Have humility. Serve one another. Put others ahead of yourself. Love is action. Encourage and build each other in the faith. This is one of the core reasons why we have fellowship or even gathered here. We should love our time and being gathered together as the body of Christ. We should love being with brothers and sisters in Christ. We should love Christ. We should love praising Him in song. We should love learning about who He is. We should love being sanctified by hearing the Word of God. Do not let it go in one ear and out the other, people. I beg you. Do not let it go in one ear and out the other. Ask God before you come to church, or even right now, when you hear the biblical text, for it to be applied and to change your heart. There are 168 hours in a week. Approximately 110 when you minus out 8 hours per sleep a day. How are you spending your time? How are you spending your time? We must, at our core, bear 
fruits of the Holy Spirit and have biblical love, which is displayed perfectly by Christ Jesus. Now, what is that love and what is the gospel? I'm going to state to you again, 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't that beautiful? It's nothing that we've done. It's nothing that we've done. It's all that Christ Jesus has done. If you believe in this and you believe that Christ is resurrected, then let it lead into the way that you live your life. The Christian road is not easy. There are two roads in this life. And Jesus spoke of these in Matthew 7, verses 13 to 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. So in the world... Or even the church thinks that any solution other than the gospel is what truly matters. They are mistaken. They are misled. They are prideful. And they think they have the solution. The only true eternal solution to this eternal problem from the fall of man is the gospel. Nothing else. We have this eternal problem, but there is the eternal solution. So if you see horrible, tragic events on the news... This should light the spark in us as his church to be the church and to motivate you to spread the news to all people. The problem of division is a sure one in the world and churches because doctrine does divide. And if you stay true to the biblical text and you stay on the narrow path, you're going to be hated. You're going to be hated. You are going to be hated if you stick to the truth. So with this good news, how do we respond to shootings, to trials, to tragedies, to storms and division? How do we respond? Well, let me tell you what, how you can respond. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, even Paul says again, I will say rejoice. Rejoice. We rejoice no matter what. Why? Why? Even though your your worldly, your situation right now might not be good, things you may be going through right now may be horrible, you may be suffering, you may be depressed, you may have a hard time, but I want to encourage you with this. You can rejoice because the gospel is true and because we have eternal hope. Amen? This should cause you to cheer. This should cause you to shout in victory. This verse is the second step on how we have spiritual stability. We are to maintain joy instead of being a victim and saying, woe is me when trials come. Instead of just based off how our circumstances are going, we maintain joy because we know who our Savior and who the Messiah is. Not only if you have success, not only if you're well financially, you get a new car, you get all the worldly possessions, etc. You rejoice not in your circumstances, which are temporary, but you you rejoice in the Lord due to who He is. Forever. Success, worldly success, 
and storms come and go. But the Lord is the constant forever. And you can rejoice because of that. Your foundation of life should be Christ. Your foundation and what you think of God will be evident with how you respond in all circumstances. When you go through trials, it helps validate if you even have faith. So if you're still standing, if you still trust in Christ after all you've been through, praise God for that. When we know who our God is, then we can truly rejoice. Acts 5.41 states, Then they left the presence of the council in the early church. They were rejoicing. They were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Christ. The early church suffered, yet they rejoiced due to how much Christ Jesus suffered. Not just for right now, but we can trust that Christ earned our salvation, our eternity. Christ suffered to redeem Christ suffered to forgive. Christ suffered to wash you of your sins. And he took the full wrath of God that you and I deserved. And we have been accredited Christ's righteousness for those who believe and trust in the gospel. God is sovereign. And we can trust that God is in control. Therefore, you can be comforted no matter what's going on. When we trust that God is truly in control, we can be comforted. John MacArthur stated this on why we have joy. Number one, everything in our life is controlled by God. And number two, yet while we were sinners, God saved us. He made us his own children. And we have received a glorious inheritance only due to Christ. We rejoice because Christ Jesus is coming someday to bring his children to be with himself. God supplies us all our needs according to the riches in Christ Jesus. So when you're having a bad day, you can still say the gospel is true. And I'm redeemed because of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We rejoice because we are being used by God to live for the one whom I would hope that we love the most. We can rejoice because we are being used by God to live for the one Whom we love the most. Church, God is using our lives to be witnesses to others, to be the salt and the life, to people in Harrington who may not have hope. We rejoice as well because we can communicate with the triune God and He listens. We have joy because death is gain. Our joy is rooted deeper when we trust in God's plan and who He is, as well as His promises. Why would we doubt and waver when we know our God revealed to us through the Scriptures? David Guzik stated, Despite the circumstance from which it was written, joy is all over the letter to the Philippians. This is why I repeat myself. Examples of Paul talking about joy... Include Philippians 1, 4, 1, 18, 1, 25, throughout chapter 2, throughout chapter 3, and even into the verse that we're in today. We rejoice. Charles Spurgeon stated, I am glad that we do not know what the quarrel between Uriah and Syntyche was about. 
I am usually thankful for ignorance on such subjects. But as a cure for disagreements, the Apostle Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. People who are very joyful, especially those who are even happy in the Lord, are not apt either to give offense or to take offense. That's not the first thing that comes to their mind. Their minds are so sweetly occupied with eternal and higher things that they are not easily distracted by little troubles which naturally arise among such imperfect, sinful creatures we are. Joy in the Lord is the cure for all discord. Amen. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Paul's joy wasn't based in a sunny optimism or a positive mental attitude that he forced himself to have as much as it was in the confidence that God was in control. He trusted that God was in control. It really was a joy in the Lord. And Spurgeon, we're getting ready to close here. What a gracious God we serve who makes delight to be a duty and who commands us to rejoice. Should we not at once be obedient to such a command as this? It was intended that we should rejoice. Rejoice due to who our triune God is. So brothers and sisters, let there be no grumbling and complaining among you. But rejoice. This is the word of God. This is what the Bible says. Rejoice in unity for Christ. If you disagree with it, you disagree with the word of God. These are just the first two steps in this series that we're looking at on spiritual stability. We're going to look at more next week. But if there's anything, and I want you to write it down, if you're writing down or taking notes, which I would really encourage you to do, is these are the main points I want to leave you with this week. I'll give you a second. Chew on this. To be stable and stand firm, we as Christ's church... As his bride are to love one another by putting on humility. And we are to rejoice because the gospel is true and we have eternal hope. Let this hope change your life. Let this hope change your attitude and transform you to be a living sacrifice for Christ. Pressing on to the finish line. To live as Christ, to die as gain until the end of the race. Let's pray. Holy God, we are thankful for your word as it is true. We are thankful for who you are and that you revealed yourself to us through your word. I pray, Lord, that we would have spiritual stability. That we would be unified for Christ. And that we would maintain unity by having humility for one another. Having grace on one another. Because no one is perfect, myself included. We are all sinners saved by grace. That's it. And so if we acknowledge that we are saved by grace, help us to have grace on one another. Because there truly can be a lack of that in this world and even in this church at times. So Holy Spirit, Help us to forgive as you forgive us every single day. Help us, Lord, stand firm. Help us to be stable. And help us to rejoice 
because of the eternal hope that we have. We praise you, Christ. Help us to be faithful, to go out in the community, and to plant seed to all people. We remain faithful due to who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Our closing song this morning is On the Solid Rock.